This will certainly have an adult theme and might well contain strong scenes of sex or violence, which could be quite graphic. It may also contain some very explicit language, which will frequently mean sexual swear words. What do you like listening to? Um, <laughs> chart music. <laughs> chart music. You pop craze youngsters and welcome to the latest episode of Chart Music, the podcast that gets its hands right down the back of the settee on a random episode of Top of the Pops. I'm your host, Al Needham, and with me today are Simon Price Hello. and Sarah B. Ahoy. Panel! Like a tramp in the night, I am begging for you <laughs> to tell me all the pop and interesting things like you want to do. I went to see uh, our good friends and incredible psychedelic electronic rock troupe Teeth of the Sea Ooh. at our um, lovely local venue, Walthamstow Trades Hall. Um, and uh, I should say, Sam, who plays trumpet for the Teeth, um, as nobody calls them, is a fully paid up, long term, devoted, pop crazed youngster. So, hey. oh, bless Sam. Shout out to you, Sam. Thank you, sir. <laughs> um, and I successfully did not get COVID for a fourth time. Yes. But I did get the consolation prize of a cold for about six weeks. Oh, Fucking shit, you know, six week cold? Yeah, that's what you get now. You know, Mate. this is like, you know, all of our immune systems are <laughs> sort of... Things are different now, you know. Oh, huh. man, you want to be like John Travolta in The Boy in the Plastic Bubble, Sarah? Yeah, 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 I do. Have you ever seen that film? I was so fucking disappointed by it. It came on the telly after Saturday Night Fever in Greece, and I expected John Travolta to be bouncing around in a big fucking Zorb thing <laughs> to some disco music <laughs> or with a quiff on and having a right old time, but no, yeah. he was in hospital for fucking ages, <sighs> and, yeah. and it was boring. That's tedious isn't it (laughs) for everyone concerned but yeah i think we should normalize actually now that you know people will look askance at you if you have a mask on masks now are like flares in 1981 (laughs) aren't they about as useful and about as stylish yeah yeah, it's true oh i don't know though because i remember the tail end of covid and people were starting to go out on buses again i remember sitting on a bus and these two blokes got on and one of them had a mask on and printed on it in big white letters on a black mask was, will open for cock. Well. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking, oh, I know this bus route and I know what time it is. It's when all the uh, old folks clubs start kicking out. <laughs> so I'm sat there kind of like on those seats that go along the side of the bus, mm. just waiting for all these old women to come on to get their reactions. <laughs> and they just looked and just ignored him or just laughed or just nudged each other. And it was like... God, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> These women didn't give a fuck. Well, you know, they were young ones too. Nobody got the cock out to test him at his word. <laughs> well, old grannies now would have been teenagers in the 60s. They've seen it all. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah totally. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like everyone has missed a trick with the whole kind of slogans on masks thing. Mm. It's a very easy way to, uh, to say a thing, but you have to be prepared yeah. to be saying it after you've forgotten yeah 
that on your face it says, you know, fuck the Tories or whatever. And, you know, then you go to the Tory party conference and it's really embarrassing. You know. <laughs> um, uh, meanwhile, though, uh, exciting news for the perverse few who want to hear more of me saying things. Uh, our film and television podcast, Teledrome, rides again imminently. Oh, oh yes. Uh, this time, uh, John Tatlock and I will be examining a classic of 80s horror cinema and its recent remake. And John will be annoyingly messing about with some sort of puzzle box that he's got. I mean, I have Ooh. told him that he's going to have to take it out in the edit because it's just this like, you know, he's really, mm. he's really preoccupied with it. You know, what, like a Rubik's I'm Cube? Or, what is it? <laughs> I don't know what it is. He's oh. like, he's really preoccupied. He hasn't slept in days. He's just kind of sitting cross-legged in an empty room. Just like, I'm a bit worried. Anyway, uh, Teledrome, wherever you get your podcast. I saw John Tatlock the other night. Oh, really? Yeah, I was up in Manchester, had a drink with him, and uh, he didn't have a puzzle box on him then, unless he had it stashed somewhere that, you know, frankly, the sun don't shine. I don't know. Maybe he solved it. Oh, no. I think maybe we'd know about it if he'd solved Fair it. Fair enough. Simon! If you're happy with a nappy, then you're in for fun. Uh, George mm. Michael once taunted Andrew Ridgely, and yes. and I'm about to find out uh, because yeah. we've got a baby on the way. <laughs> Good lord! Yeah, well, the you know, first child music baby. Janie has a baby on the way. You know, I had only a small amount to do with it, about ten cc's worth. You know, <laughs> uh, so you're not going to be going around saying we're, of course, we're pregnant, <laughs> boy or girl, uh, girl. Oh, um, oh yeah. Toya. <laughs> Pee-poo would work for either sex. Yeah, that's, this is true. Yeah, yeah. the, the clans of uh, Price and Burns are about to gain a, a new generation. Um, I, I'd assumed uh, I was the end of the family line, you know, mm. um, and I, I'd made my peace with that. Uh, and I thought yeah. I would be seeing out my days in the company of my record collection, just getting pissed on Havana Club all the time. Mm. So this is a big life change, especially in my yeah, age. Okay. Uh, but I'm excited for it. So, you know, there's that. Yeah, it's a girl. She's due in February. Um, as Ooh. for the name, we're probably going with a Welsh name. And right. we do have a front runner, uh, which we're keeping under our hat. The only proviso, really, is that it has to be pronounceable by English people because she's oh, going to yeah. be growing up in Brighton. <laughs> Dave, then. <laughs> but um, we, we don't want to use the front runner name until she's actually born. I don't know mm. if it's superstition or what. So, in the meantime, we've got gone through this list of welsh girls names and picked the ugliest ones we can find um in the knowledge that that we're definitely not using them when it's for real God. so names like greek which is spelt grug oh. right? or bivig which is spelt budug or cranogwen who sounds like a really angry hatchet-faced old woman i think or mm. Blodeoith, which is uh, a name for which even I, a Welshman, need to take a bit of a runner. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so we we alternate between those when when referring to her in in the certainty that that she'll not be called that. So, yeah, um, big changes about to happen round here. Um, the other thing, of course is that my book is finally out there in the world. Indeed. Your other baby, yes. My other baby, yeah. Curepedia, um, an A to Z of the cure. Yes. The reviews have been really positive. Um, I've mm. been travelling around on the sort of promo circuit, met loads of lovely people at spoken word events, book signings. The Cure's fan community have been incredibly supportive, and I was kind of quite nervous about that, you know. Yeah. And I wouldn't have blamed them if they took against it. but And it seems to be selling well. It's reached number one in some very niche charts and, and you'll know all about this sort of niche charting from chart music but so for yes. example um 
biographies of punk musicians, uh, music encyclopedias, because it's an encyclopedia. Mm. Um, it fleetingly reached number four in the proper music book charts. Ooh. It was never going to get any higher with Britney Spears and Barbara Streisand to Duh. contend with. Uh, my favourite is when it reached number 11 in Amazon's Religious History of Christianity charts. <laughs> Fucking hell. I mean, I, I suppose there's a chapter on religion and there's a chapter on faith and the cure are a cult act, so I'll... I'll I'll take it. Maybe so, the thought it was about the curate. Oh, we, yeah, of course. Mm, um, yeah. Apparently, th- th- there's a boring uh, um, uh, answer to this, and it's that there is uh, another author called Simon Price who does oh. write about religious history, and uh, Amazon's algorithms got it mangled. So, yeah, you know, um, two births, a book and a baby, and uh, Good Lord. Uh, ask me in a year's time which one was the hardest, or ask Janie, anyway. <laughs> a lot more sharp corners on your book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually got a copy of it, Summit. It's fucking gorgeous. You've done a nice job. I'm scared to turn the pages of it. I don't feel worthy. Yeah, I'm hoping that, because it is really nice, it's got this sort of matte it texture. It's sort of red with this shiny black silhouette of Robert Smith laid over it and sort of silver writing. And um, I do think it's inevitably going to degrade if people carry it around with them. And I'm hoping it'll be like Public Image Limited's metal box, that each mm. copy will become sort of individual in the way that it deteriorates. Rates, you know. Would you mind if I gave my copy away to one of the Polk Ray's patrons? Uh, not at all. Why is that? You hate the cure, basically. <laughs> I just think they deserve it more than I. So, at some point after this episode has gone out, I will be conducting a random draw and one of the Pop Crates Patreon people will be getting my copy sometime in January. But Anyway, I am still reeling from the effects of that beautiful day in September when the pop craze youngsters assembled for our live show at King's Place for the London Podcast Festival. Fucking hell, it was a proper day, wasn't it, Sarah? Ah, uh, yes, it was. Yes, it really was. <laughs> Massive tar to them, King's Place, and especially the pop craze youngsters who turned up and said hello to us afterwards and bought us drinks and all sorts. There was actually a couple there who were in their mid-twenties. Wow. I couldn't believe it. Actual Gen Z. Yes, I got down on my knees in the pub afterwards and genuflected oh. towards them, man. <laughs> We're reaching that audience, man. We're doing it. We're getting down with the kids. Yeah, Amazing. literally. Yeah, we are gen uflection. <laughs> <Yes>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and a special thanks to all the pop craze youngsters who booked our live stream, which I managed to have a look at afterwards. It was fucking mint. And it gave me the ideal opportunity to see how much I'm turning into Mr. Rumbold as the years roll on. <laughs> oh, fucking hell, man. I've got a face for podcasts and a voice for newsprint. <laughs> <laughs> You're being harsh on yourself there. Uh, no, it's, it's all true. I got away with it this time because I was uh, I, I was just in the audience and uh, I got to yes. I got to politely heckle and uh, do a little a little royal wave mm. and uh, <laughs> that was my contribution. A splendid day and yeah, I'm starting to get a feel for these live shows now. I'm not I'm not so stressed about them. Your turn next, Simon. That'd be nice, mm. and it might be sooner than you think. Mm. Hit the fucking music. Calling all pop crazed youngsters. You asked for it, we were offered it, so we said, all right then, fuck it, why not? Saturday, January the 13th, 2024, Birmingham Town Hall, chart music live all day. 
Yes, pop craze youngsters. Short music is getting on down to Benny Tan with the power trio of Simon Price, Neil Kulkane and Al Needham for a full day of chop music ramble. We commence with the return of Here Comes Quizum, the chop music pub quiz. And then, a three-hour live episode of chop music. And then... We round off the evening with a chop music disco where we dance the night away to the white hot sounds of Joy Sarney and Two Man Sound. It do be the complete chop music experience, Miss Diane, and can be yours for a mere £15. So, see that internet, mash out bit.ly slash cm24. That's bit.ly slash cm24. Lay your money down and be prepared to be pop crazed all day long in beautiful downtown Birmingham. Hey, piss troll, we're coming for you. <laughs> yes, you heard right, pop craze youngsters. Jesus and Buzz are making themselves available to their public in a few weeks' time. And as you listen to this, I can tell you that I have done precisely fuck all in the way of notes. So I need to get my thumb out my arse and get on with it because the pop craze youngsters techno minginess when it comes to the live shows. If you can't be asked to listen back for that bit.ly link, just go to bmusic.co.uk that's bmusic.co.uk and put in a search for chart music. The other bit of news is that we've started a new bonus strand exclusively for the Pop Craze Patreons called Hit the Fucking Play Button. Very simple premise, Pop Craze youngsters. We take one music video that was never shown on Top of the Pops, which means that we're never going to be able to talk about it properly on chart music, and we pull it to absolute bits. Mm. There's two episodes up already, and the third one's already in the bag and will be out in a few weeks' time. And chaps, you've already had a dig at these, and it's been a proper good dos, hasn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, if, if people think that, that we sort of deep dive Top of the Pops episodes a bit too kind of nerdishly, then just wait till you hear this shit, man. Oh, <laughs> oh voyage to the fucking Earth's core, mate. Yeah, yeah. It's good to be able to cover songs that we're never going to do on a regular episode of chart music, so... Yeah, it's fucking mint, mate. Cool. The goal is to get one out once a month. So, you know, that's going to be an extra hour or so uh, to mix into your pop-crazed diet. So if you want all of that, plus the audio of our live show and all the other benefits of being a pop-crazed Patreon, it is time to get some money down this G-string right here and let us shush, shush, shake that arse just for you. And speaking of the pop-crazed Patreons, here is the latest roll call of the lovely people who have put a jingle in our G-string of late. In the $3 section, we have Paul Locker. Lucy Moore, Paul Gavin Chaplin, Mike Davis, Nicole Smith, 72 Heaven, Jonathan Hewitt, Hazel Sidesurf, Nick Reed, Hez, Ray Blake, Titus Cotton, Grassy Knoll, John Broadley, 
Andy Nyko, Russell Horton and Dan Dummer. Thank you, babies. Thank you, lovelies. I suspect some of those aren't their real names, you know. <laughs> and in the $5 section, we have Neve Conroy, Adam Pearce, Stuart, Tim Ward, Petrus Gyra, Michael Avery, Jim Parker, Mayor of Fish God, Kenny Twat, <laughs> Russell, James Glover, Kieran Gaynor, Dermot Fitzsimmons, Dr. Craig, James Jimbo Bradley, Chris Kyle, Brian Cairns, Carlos the Jackal, Claire Udi, Aiden DW, Briefly P, Nozza the Knob, Anna Dominoes, Laurie Powell, Andrew Whiters, Andy Hall, Mark Smith, and Carl, fucking hell, we oh, love you. you. Come here, give me a fucking <laughs> hug, you lovely bastards. <laughs> oh, uh, Stuart Metcalf and Doug Grant jacked it right up. And so they get a very special arse rub on their trousers this Christmas time. Ooh. Well done. Oh, uh, by the way, happy birthday, Akashamira. And I'm sorry I missed it. Fuck's sake, man. I'm turning into cunting stew pot nowadays, man. I can't <laughs> have this. Anyway. But you've got better breath, Al. Yes. <laughs> anyway, as well as all that lovely new bonus content, and getting episodes in for without any advert rammel. The pop craze Patreons get to tinker in a tanker with the brand new chop music top ten. Shall we? Yeah. Shall we? Go on then. Hit the fucking music! We've said goodbye to Bjorn Bingabonger, Toto Coelho Ultras and Ian Interesting, which means four up, two down, one non-mover and three new entries. New entry at number ten, the Quincy Punks. Straight in at number nine, Benefits Cheap Paul Diano. Up one place from number nine to number eight, the Birmingham Piss Troll. Yes, yes. Another one place jump from number eight to number seven, for here comes Jism. But down one place from number five to number six is Eric Smallshaw of Eccles. Into the top five, and it's a one-place jump from six to five for Bummer Dog. Down two places from number two to number four, the provisional Uaruare. Up four places from number seven to number three, the bent cunts who aren't fucking real. Yes. This week's highest new entry crashes into the chart at number two, Festival of Sperm, which means... <laughs> Britain's number one. It's still there at the very summit of Mount Pop, Ghost Face Scylla. Oh, what a chart me did. Fucking hell. All the classics. Mm. Festival of Sperm is going to be really baffling to anybody who isn't listening to hit the fucking play button, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Shall we tell them, Simon? Uh, go on. Explain, Simon, Festival of Sperm. Well, as I understand it, uh, from my good showbiz friend Martin Degville, uh, it was, yes, it was a working name for Zig Zig Sputnik before yes. they were Zig Zig Sputnik. <laughs> <laughs> so, this week's new entries, then, the Quincy 
punks, I think pretty obvious what they're all about. You know, they've got them yes. skinny ties and shirts tucked into jeans and wacky sunglasses, you know, and capering about in a manner that David disapproves of. Yeah, it's good Charlotte, yeah. basically. Yeah. Mm. Benefits cheap Paul Diano, um, fairly self-explanatory. But yeah, Festival of Sperm. I hear that name and what immediately comes to my mind is erotic Morris dancing. <laughs> well, I mean, it is all about fertility rights, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Just bringing it into our century. So mm. I think Festival of Sperm, they're like Enigma, but with a bit less monk chant and a lot more accordion. Yeah. And they come out on stage and they clack double-ended dildos together and stuff like that. Yeah, it's here really comes jism. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, pop craze youngsters, if you want in on all the excitement that being a pop craze Patreon brings into your world, remember, keyboard, patreon.com slash chart music, money, g-string. <laughs> so this episode pop craze youngsters takes us all the way back to march the 4th 1993 which is very much to my mind the 90s that nobody really cares about isn't it you know we're post-rave pre-brit pop post-optimism pre-cokey arrogance the 90s are done we've got as far away from the 80s as humanly possible but we don't yet know what the 90s are going to be so me dears if I were to say to you the music of 1993 what's immediately coming out of those lovely mouths of yours um some unholy soup of uh, grunge Eurodance and take that I think mm. I was going to say Peruvian knitwear hat Ooh. basically spin doctors if yeah. you want to call <laughs> oh me God. baby just go ahead now uh, just you know uh, I've, I've completely fucked all the pop crazy youngsters heads now with a mother of all earworms <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what, what that symbolises yeah yeah stop now what that symbolises is that grunge and American alternative music in the broadest sense had sort of curdled and the dregs were now being scraped mm. from the barrel. But yeah, like you say, uh, Britain hadn't yet stepped up with enough to replace it. You had Suede and the Mannix and Saint Etienne and Pulp, but nobody was using the B word yet, mm -hmm. um, of course. But yeah, that well, were... they were. I mean, the, like punk and disco, Britpop was being used in the music papers years before the event. Sort of with a small B, I guess. No, because it's British, so it'd be a capital B. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean, <laughs> well, Sarah. I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> I don't know. You, you had all these sort of tangents that the very best bits of which were enjoyable so you had funk metal or rap metal that hadn't yet become horrible new metal mm -hmm. so you know you had things like rage against the machine you had kind of i guess the aftermath of rave so bands like the shaman were massive mm. and they were kind of irritating but fun at the same time mm -hmm. and g-funk hadn't quite happened yet but cypress hill were there and mm. you know they were pretty good and yes you could sort of take a bit of a pick and mix while not thinking that there's any one thing that's completely defining the era yet. Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah, it is It is a bit of a liminal year, isn't it? Um, I think mm. there's also, there's already a certain weariness about it, like everyone's already knackered, you know, even though it's only, it's, yeah. it's sort of an early mid-year in that way. But uh, yeah. yeah, in terms of the charts, it's like shat on by Shaggy, shoveled up by Blobby. <laughs> People are tired, the, you know, the recession's dragging on and, you know, and it, it is like careful what you wish for, really, because Britpop is coming down the tracks like a runaway train with a single eyebrow. Um, mm. I, I, in the full awareness, that trains don't actually have eyebrows in general. No. Well, Thomas a tank engine probably. Has oh yeah, oh god. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> the, the eldritch horror of <laughs> <laughs> Liam the tank engine. Fuck <laughs> yeah, so Rave obviously on its way out very much. Um the Prodigy's first album only came out last year. Mm. They're not considered Britpop, but they're sort of almost on the edge of it because the fat of the land a few years later was immense mm. there's quite a neat delineation really when it comes to dance music the uh castle morton common week-long rave happened last year um mm. which uh some people consider precipitated almost single-handedly precipitated the criminal justice bill yeah and that starts to mark the beginning of the end of uh, the rave culture that started in 88 mm. in fact the so the criminal justice bill this year was making its way through Parliament with its new rave clause. And um, the Ministry of Sound... Repetitive beats and all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Ministry of Sound projected their logo onto Parliament, not to protest the bill, but to promote their very first compilation. So (laughs) that really establishes the corporate evolution of the bootleg rave tape that had been massive up until now. Mm. It was the end of the free party era and the start of the super club era. So the succession of repetitive beats. Mm. And you could still go mental in a huge crowd of people but it would cost you at this point Mm. one word that constantly sprung to mind when i was researching this era malaise the country's (laughs) in recession record sales have dipped for the first time in 12 years and the music scene is in a state of absolute flux bag is collapsed in on itself even though the enemy is still waiting for the stone roses to come back and make everything right again factory records has gone bust and the youth of britain are either pretending to be american tramps who have been loaded into a cannon and fired through a branch of millets or following the (laughs) clarion call of assorted ian beals in hyper-coloured t-shirts who hunch over computers in their bedrooms and make the youngsters take drugs and surrender to machine loops that isn't real music at all here's an article i found in the guardian from the year before chaps which kind of lays out the state of music at this time from a, a certain point of view yeah with the soulless machine beat of techno music and its leap from the underground rave scene to mainstream chart success, the science fiction nightmare is in sight. Computers are taking over from creativity and musicianship is slowly being replaced by the dismal donkey work of the computer programmer. Although not quite the fifth horseman of the apocalypse, music technology may yet undermine a music industry that has traditionally made money out of good playing and songwriting. Techno dispensers with both and is currently the hottest force in the record shops. Bands like Alternate, SL2 and 2 Unlimited sell singles in quantities real musicians dream of by making music so lacking in human qualities that it is difficult to imagine soft flesh ever having anything to do with its creation. 
In fact, it is all done with drum machines, sequencers and samplers, scavenging among other people's ideas and revelling in banality and repetition. Faceless and personality-free, techno embodies few of the traditional rock inspirations like sex, egomania and sedition. Instead, it is all about money. No musical rebellion has ever started out so mercenary or been so instantly profitable. Given the technology and ability to play a three-fingered chord on a synth, you can bash out a top ten single ready for pressing in a day. Yeah, you just push a button and on a ragged tip comes out. <laughs> it's AI all over again, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's this kind of conflation and elision that's going on of things that are not the same. So basically, it's written from that point of view that good music has to be music that is handcrafted. Mm. Whereas artisan. I believe strongly that pop is an entirely user-end art form, mm. that it's all about how you experience it. And yeah. if it causes exhilaration or any other emotion in, in the listener, that's what matters. Mm. I couldn't give a fuck if somebody presses a button and out it pops, or if they've ripped their fingertips to pieces learning how to play the guitar. Mm. Good for them if they have. You know, I'm not slagging that off either, but I, I spent a lot of lot of time in this era arguing with people like this mm. and constant battle, particularly on the Melody Maker letters page. Mm. This could be a bad letter to backlash, quite honestly. Yeah, it's a bit like lab-grown diamonds that you get now <laughs> that are exactly the same as the ones that are mined out of the ground by small children. But, uh, you know, there are people who will still insist mm. that suffering has to happen before you can have beauty. It's like, I, mm. I don't think that's true. I mean, when I read this article, it just reminded me so much of the Mither and the Wickling that's being punted out over AI. Yeah, but AI is bad, though. Yeah, well, <laughs> depends how you use it, isn't it? I mean, there's been interviews with people like Chuck D saying, yeah, there is going to be a lot of shit that's going to come out of it, but there's going to be other people like us back in the 80s and sampling that's going to find a way to make it work and make it sound brilliant and do stuff that you couldn't do before. You think we're skint now? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I, I heard that Chuck D interview and it sort of gave me a bit of optimism. He was saying that in the early days of sampling, a lot of what came out was really unimaginative. It was just one track or one loop over and over and over. But, mm. you know, he said that People like, I guess, the Bomb Squad and Terminator X, and you'd also have to credit Eric B, mm. managed to kind of, well, he used the term to freak it. Chuck D said, we figured out how to freak it. Mm. And I think that's basically what's got to happen with AI. Yeah. To begin with, um, it's, it's going to be endless people saying, you know, let's make a Beatles song. Uh, not least, the Beatles themselves. Um, mm. But, yes. you know, I, I think and hope we're going to get past that phase and people will figure out a way of making genuinely freaky amazing music i hope so too I, i'm slightly more pessimistic it's like i thought it was going to make everything else easier for us so that we could be free to make art and uh I think it's going to be the other way around. Yeah, as writers, we were the ones they came for first. But, you know, the thing is, I've spent years of my life researching stuff off the internet and ended up reading other people's shitty writing that was so 
fucking awful. It might as well have been done by AI. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. At least AI wouldn't true. write without any further ado. <laughs> there is a certain kind of uncanny valley effect that you get even when just reading AI-generated prose. And I think, and maybe I'm flattering myself, but I think I can tell the difference. Mm. You know, th- there is something just unsettling and slightly queasy and sickening when you're mm. reading something that wasn't done by a human brain i think it's possibly already at the stage that it can generate just sort of copy that could sort of describe a washing machine or something like that Mm. but in terms of actual writing about ideas and thoughts i don't think it's quite there yet Mm. i actually think it's become the lowest form of wit as well when people just have some idea what would it look like if Evan Dando went water skiing and you know they'll just and then it, you'll get a picture of it and it's yeah. like oh look at this and it's like oh, okay mm. uh, I've got to admit sometimes it's it's fooled me I think I, I got pranked oh, yes. the other day there was this thing doing the rounds that was meant to be Rick James's house in 1979 yes. and it looks fucking amazing kind of sci-fi mm. meet superfly this place that, that he supposedly lived in. Mm. I now think it's too good to be true and it's probably AI. The, the jury's still out on that, I think. But mm. um, it's just, you know, there's this crestfallen feeling you get of, oh, for fuck's sake, is that all it was? Yeah. Well, I want to see these amazing, luxurious rock star palaces from the 70s, but I want yeah. to see them for real. I don't want to see... Yeah, you want the truth. Yeah, yeah. That surprises me about myself. I never thought of myself as someone who craves authenticity, but maybe my limit has been found and maybe I fucking do. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, going back to the article, you read this kind of stuff, uh, uh, which was not uncommon in the media around about this time, and you start to realise why the core corporate whores of the music biz who are on their backs with their legs wide open, <laughs> baying for Shed 7 to show them just how dangerous <laughs> music can be. And smelly. There's this absolute craving for a band or some bands to come along and just take this decade by the scruff of the neck. People want a Beatles, man. Well, if only a band was going to take the decade by the scruff of the neck in this very episode of Top of the Box. If only. Foreshadow, foreshadow. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Onward! A car bomb has been detonated in the underground car park of the World Trade Center with the intention of crashing the North Tower into the South one and bringing both down. And although both buildings remain intact, six people are killed and over a thousand are injured. 
The Serbian Liberation Front immediately claimed responsibility, but it turns out to be the work of Ramzi Youssef and his mates in the Liberation Army, a spin-off of Al-Qaeda. Six people were arrested in a Liverpool court for bricking in a police van containing Robert Thompson and John Venables, while the BBC announced plans to broadcast the funeral of James Bulger live on the BBC One show Good Morning with Anna Nick. I don't think that happened in the end. Thank fuck. An estimated 15 people are shot dead in a standoff between the Branch Davidian compound in Waco, Texas, and it's revealed that 25 of the people still inside are British, some from Nottingham. Have I mentioned this, that David Koresh used to live in St Anne's, near where my granny used to live? No way. Yeah, yeah, just about five minutes' walk from where I'm sitting now. David Koresh lived there in the mid to late 80s. Hmm. I know someone used to be a landlord of the pub. I did a pub quiz. At, and he was living in St. Anne's at the time. And every now and again, he'd get a fucking knock on his door. He opened it up. There's fucking David Koresh banging on about Jesus again. It's insane, isn't it? This is like when um, Osama bin Laden was standing on the clock end at Highbury. It's one of those things that doesn't seem yes, to... I know. It's like it's been generated by AI or something. <laughs> Tony Bland becomes the 96th victim of the Hillsborough disaster justice for them. The US Air Force have started to airlift relief supplies into Bosnia for the benefit of Muslim refugees including ration packs which contain pork. No special consideration has been made for that, said a USAF spokesperson, but it is easy to recognise and they can always throw it away. (laughs) Cast members of Coronation Street are threatening to quit the soap for good if Granada TV end up selling the broadcast rights to be sky b granada who claims that the program generates over a hundred million pound a year in advertising revenue for the itv network wants to double their price from 40 grand to 80 grand per episode and if they can't get that from itv they're threatening to take it to murdoch Members of the cast are famous for their charity work and caring attitude to the less fortunate, said a Granada insider. Most of them are desperately concerned about the effect a possible sale could have on pensioners and other lonely people. They regard street characters as their friends and can't afford a satellite dish. Fucking hell, that would be the end of the world if Coronation Street moved to satellite. Mm. Tory rent-a-gob Jeffrey Dickens has blasted ITV for screening an HIV-positive vicar kissing his dying boyfriend on a documentary this very evening. What are children to make of all this, he said. It will encourage some of them to dabble in homosexual activities, he said of the documentary series 3D. Vicars should act responsibly in public. If you can't trust your vicar, who can you trust? (laughs) Gotta say, if I was 14 and I saw a vicar snogging another man, I'd think very seriously about having a dabble. (laughs) John Hendry of E17, currently at number 10 in the charts with Deep, and his mate have been attacked by five thugs with iron bars in Walthamstow after the latter chatted up one of their girlfriends. 
After going to hospital to have 12 stitches in his head, he said, I can't understand why people do things like that. If they think they're being real men, they're very much mistaken. Bruce Dickinson has announced that he's leaving Iron Maiden, but will stay on until August to do a farewell tour and ring a live LP out of it. But the big news this week is that the IRA have targeted Mr. Blobber. After leaving a bomb in a bin outside Athena in Camden, which injured 14 people, a threat of another bomb at Television Centre was issued, forcing the BBC to cancel its live episode of Noel's House Party and replace it with a repeat of the 1992 version of Noel's Christmas Presents and a repeat of the greatest episode of Tom and Jerry ever, Zoot Cat, where Tom falls for a Bobby Soxer and makes his own zoot suit out of a deck chair and a Shade, only to be comprehensively cock-blocked by Jerry, who ends up dancing with her and presumably having a relationship. <laughs> Fucking hell, what a cunt of a mouse Jerry was. Yeah, what a little fucker. And the IRA there, not just there for the nasty things in life. So <laughs> getting rid of Noel Edmonds for an evening, sort of. <laughs> to be fair, the IRA only threatened to kill somebody on Noel Edmonds's primetime TV show. <laughs> Noel succeeded. Yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> what a fucking grim time, 1993. Jesus. Yeah. There was just this sense of what's the fucking point. I mean, the Tories had won the election the previous year. Yeah. You know, there was this flurry of optimism that Kinnock was going to get in. Mm. A flurry to which, sadly, Kinnock himself was only too prone. Well, all right! Yeah. All right! Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. You know. But, yeah, when, when that failed, it was like, oh, God, we got another five years of the fucking Tories. Yeah. It's not surprising that a lot of people just sort of turned inwards and just yeah. couldn't face politics anymore for a while. On the cover of Melody Maker this week, week Pearl Jam on the cover of Smash Hits E17 the number one LP in the country at the moment is Diva by Annie Lennox and over in America the number one single is A Whole New World by Peebo Bryson and Regina Bell and the number one LP is the soundtrack to The Bodyguard by Whitney Houston so me dears what were we doing in April of 1993 I was just about to turn 15 things were not going to improve significantly from being 14 uh, no. It sucked. I, I survived like you do. Um, it was a hideous roiling cauldron of being bad at netball and hockey. Oh, Sarah. <laughs> That's the Char Music netball team gone for an absolute toss. It was the knickers, though. The, the gym knickers, the Navy oh. gym knickers that were the ultimate humiliation, although not as uncomfortable as the socks. Really? Yeah, like the Navy kind of like knee socks that you had to wear. And they were so oh. scratchy. Like, I don't really understand why it had to be this way. There's loads of ways to exercise why did it have to all be about you know the the kind of social death of of competitive sport it sucked (laughs) while wearing knickers was set blatter in charge of this (laughs) (laughs) do you remember he said that women's football would be more popular if they all just played wearing knickers or something i mean jesus tied to shorts they were practically knickers yeah yeah let's be honest well we did have little you know sort of uh sort of little tiny skirts uh, we were allowed to, you know, to uh, preserve what remained of our dignity. But, mm. uh, you know, yeah, and it always rained. Oh. This is the thing. <laughs> it's like, it, it was always, especially when it was hockey, so you were just, like, up to your neck in filth and uh, humiliation. But oh. other than that, everything was great. <laughs> 
I played hockey at one school that I went to. It was fucking terrifying. Oh, yeah. yeah. Probably the scariest sport I've ever played. Jesus. We played yeah. at our school every now and again. Yeah. Let's give all the fucking head cases in the school a, a big wooden stick to wave about. <laughs> That's a great idea. And when you see what the goalkeepers have to wear, these massive fucking samurai outfits yeah. and all the padding. They're absolutely fucking funked. Yeah, yeah and you realise that's there for a reason. There's a reason why you have to, like, have all that crap. Yeah. Yeah, man, never again. Mm. Music-wise, Sarah, what are you into? Well, here's the thing. Um, so uh, I had a little bit of a personal revelation at the recent uh, triumphant chart music live show. Mm. Having been on this podcast for seven years now, as, as, we're, uh, as we all have. Seven years? I know. And having, you know, done the, uh, so hey, what were you listening to at this time thing? I'm racking my brains and uh, just going, oh, yeah, I am actually the chart music girl of uh, of the intro because um, you don't get the full effect from the audio you need to see her face and Chris Needham's yes. face when we do a live show we open it up with a clip of the opening bit of audio where Chris Needham says so what what kind of music are you into yeah and uh, the girl says chart music yeah. yeah and you always get this gasp of recognition when that comes on yeah 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 which is which is wonderful and I don't want to um, you know she clearly a person in her own right and I hope she's doing great but mm. uh, you know she isn't the one there is a giggle which is yeah. actually her friend who yes. is uh, who is a little bit embarrassed like oh you've been put on the spot and she doesn't actually she looks like she's taking the question seriously and then kind of finds it tiresome that she's even been asked and says chart music like mm. wh- why are you even asking what, what do you yeah. think what do you think i'm into yeah. <laughs> and she's the most attractive girl sat on that bench as well <laughs> chris has obviously gone for her first uh, yes See, he asks this other girl what they think of heavy metal music yes this girl goes oh say it's brilliant nicole <laughs> and she goes it's brilliant <laughs> really taking the piss it's such a teenage thing like you know you're as soon as you're asked anything by by someone you know who's who's older than you and it's like oh you've got to, got to make sure you say the right thing and the chart music mm. girl doesn't actually care to say no. the right thing so i i no, took she doesn't. i take inspiration from her she <laughs> hang on a minute if you're the chart music girl that means all the rest of us are chris needham i'm afraid it does well, can we deny it yeah <laughs> strutting up to you with our musical knowledge hoisted over our shoulder and banging against our head that's a bit scary um yeah so i was um <laughs> grudgingly appreciative of taking right. that as my best friend was was a huge fan who was her favorite uh jason oh yeah yeah jason orange mm. i think she chose well i think that has but history has proven her right on that one wasn't he the nearest one that was in take that to a bad boy before robbie started acting the cunt i don't know does howard count as the bad boy now or just the wrong boy Um, (laughs) (laughs) jason was just ever so nice and uh, and she met him and he was just absolutely lovely so you know but you know that um, as i'm sure i have related probably more than once they played at my school yes i always have to mention that that was quite surreal and brilliant um and i thought prey was a banger Mm. so you know i stand by that um i was very into uh predictably enough janet jackson's latest self-titled album the one with the Mm. man bra on the cover i like to think that she just went around that entire year with her undone jeans, topless, with the man walking around behind her just covering her boobs and just giving them a little uplift. That's a job you don't see advertised down the job centre, isn't it? Yeah. No. no. <laughs> well, you know, AI's going to just take care of that in the future. Yeah. yeah. For everyone, I hope. <laughs> I'd like a robot cupping my breasts as I was going about my business. But yeah, um, That's the Way Love Goes, which was the, the mm. massive single of that. It's, it's the, still the smoothest substance to ever enter the human ear mm. and sort of into all of its cockles, you know. And Duran Duran put out their self-titled album, Ordinary World, is the one Duran Duran song that 
even people who hate Duran Duran understand to be great. Yeah. But this is definitely, this is one of those years for me where uh, 90% of the music will give me just an overpowering pang mm. because it's all steeped in the kind of histrionic moonshine of the adolescent experience. Mm. You know, any spark of anything from D-Ream on down will just make my memory go... Yeah. <laughs> Simon! I was 25 and I was writing for Melody Maker. Um, I was um, a bit of a rising star by this point, I suppose, quite well established. Yeah. I was doing a lot of reviews and features. And also I was running the arts and media section, which was called Preview, Ooh. where uh, I would write about films, comics, TV, games, anything that wasn't music, right. basically, which was quite good for freebies. Mm, I'll say. I remember getting a suede waistcoat to promote Clint Eastwood's The Unforgiven. Right. And uh, and and a um, a, a coffin shaped box set of Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. So that then became <gasps> yes. Simon Price's Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula <laughs> uh, when when I owned it. This Clint Eastwood waistcoat. Mm. What did it have on it? Because you know you you do get freebies, but more often than not they're plastered with a logo of something that's going to go massively out of date in a month or two. Yeah, I mean it did have the words "The Unforgiven" embroidered uh, on the breast pocket. So. So uh, no. I could only I, I could wear it underneath a jacket, but yeah, yeah. it's basically completely useless. And that's what pins are for. Yeah, that's what is what badges are for, patches or something. I should have thought about that, but yeah, <laughs> I was in a bedsit on the top floor of a side street in Tufnell Park slash Holloway, uh, which was so tiny I could reach everything I owned from my bed. You know, yeah, yeah. like Mister Tickle. No, I didn't even need to be Mister Tickle. I could be a Tyrannosaurus Rex with tiny little arms. <laughs> this included the Rick. Leaning Tower of Pisa like wooden habitat shelves with my records on. Um, the Allen screws always threatening to give way and cause a vinyl avalanche. Yeah, I'm sure you remember that. Mm. Before IKEA was on the scene, you know, this is what yeah. you had to make do with. You had to go to MFI. Yeah. That's, oh, <laughs> Jesus. The plaster of Paris skulls and magical oh. incense burners, which uh, <laughs> I, I bought from Mysteries of Covent Garden when I was going through an embarrassingly late in life cultist face no um, I cringe when I think back on that did you have tarot cards all that yes I did Al I had all that shit I, <laughs> I, 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 I'm really bad I was 25 man it's too late in life to, to be doing that shameful I pride myself on being very rational you know yeah there were loads of people I knew round about this time who went through a tarot phase because they were all fucking hippies but I had one mate who I'm not going to name here and he claimed to be able to read futures with just a pack of playing cards what he had to do first of all though was take a reading of your aura before he touched the pack and did a reading and luckily for someone like me it was dead easy all he had to do was put his palm like millimeters away from mine but for some reason and you're not going to believe this that never worked with women's palms so he had to do a full body aura reading for that fuck's sake and yeah right. i've seen him do that and yeah it was the most shameful thing i've seen in my life and it <laughs> never worked shame on you you know who you are i once played a game of poker with tarot cards i got a full house everyone died <laughs> that's a stephen wright joke uh, you know, oh but, hang on uh, yeah. i can do i can do a pretty good stephen wright hang on um i once played a game of <laughs> poker with tarot cards i got a full house Everyone died. Yes. 
<laughs> so anyway, there you were, Simon, dancing, laughing, drinking and loving um, in bed sit land. There was all that occultist stuff. I had the uh, Macintosh computer that I spoke about in another episode, which used to belong to Michael Grade, and on which I got so obsessed with playing Lemmings <gasps> that I'd often stay in and finish a game rather than go out and have a life and go to gigs and parties oh, and stuff mate. that I'd been invited to. So I'd just sit there, like, you know, late at night. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, fucking, yeah, yeah. That's right, good. When you when you take your eye off the ball, and then you'd realize that somewhere they're all on falling the off the edge. There's yeah. a cliff that you're like, oh no, it's that's a very yeah. stressful. Game. Oh god, you've been there too. And the building in which I was living was mildly infested with what I can only describe as brown fish. What? <laughs> They looked like silverfish, but they were actually brown. Ugh. I think they were cockroaches. No, they they had that sort of tapered shape. They were small, and they were basically silverfish, yeah. but brown ones. And maybe they were really old silverfish that like, got tarnished. <laughs> yeah. Well, it should be the other way round. That like the, they start off brown and then go silver with age, as as we do. I don't know. Yeah, but it was pretty mm. horrible, and uh, it, it was all I could afford at the time. I, I remember um, inviting Luke Haynes from the auteurs there, so I could interview right. him, and and. Uh, I was embarrassed that a pop star, even a fairly minor one, um, was getting to see exactly how poorly paid we music journalists were. Mm. Um, I, I had a small number of extravagances that I could treat myself to that I could afford, right? When I wanted a taxi, I had the number of this chauffeur, or chauffeurs, I suppose I should say, because she was a lady limousine driver, um, wearing a uniform and a cap. Um, no. Yes, and she would pick me up and ferry me around town for only slightly more than a cab fare, wow. because I think most of her chauffeuring work was done in the daytime. And right. from her point of view, she might as well make a few extra quid in the evenings, I suppose. Mm. And from my point of view, I think she only lived around the corner. So I knew that if I couldn't get a taxi, it was, you know, that there it was. And I, I would turn up in style in a, in a fancy car. Fucking uh, hell. Yeah. Like so, an inverted Lady Penelope and Parker. Yeah. And I didn't even uh, do that thing that the Pink Panther did of, you know, give her a, a coin, but it's on a piece of string and sort of whip no. it back. Yeah. I'd also bought myself a proper leather biker jacket and I'd painted the Sheep on Drugs logo on the back, right? Because right. Sheep on Drugs were fucking awesome and i didn't want to have one of the three most common goth insignia on my jacket which were sisters of mercy bauhaus or einster's ende neubauten okay mm. so sheep on drugs it was even though doing the the detail if you can imagine this doing the detail on the syringe with a fine brush with acrylic paint really wasn't easy but Ooh. just just about got you away did it with yourself it. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'd be Didn't terrified to do that, man. Yeah, yeah, on a fucking quite expensive jacket. Even if it was just a fucking jam logo. Yeah, yeah, I did it. I got away with it. Got away with it. Um, the other extravagance was my hair. Mm. All men can identify with this. Something happens uh, around the age of 23 where men start nervously glancing up at each other's hairlines. Like, yeah. is he going or is it just me? Yeah. Well, Is he or isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I was going. Um, which seemed oh. exceptionally cruel, but not unexpected when I looked at the male members of my family. But mm. I managed to long it out for a bit longer by throwing money at it. Right. Not by wearing a wig, but getting extensions, right? I, I went right. to this uh, this quite famous alternative hair salon in Kensington called Antenna, and right. uh, they gave me this massive mane of synthetic dreadlocks, which I wore with um, an Axl Rose-style bandana. And Hulk Hogan. 
Morgan. Uh, yeah, right, yeah. Um, a white man in dreads might be accused of cultural appropriation, but that wasn't what I was aiming for. My vibe was more this kind of hybrid glam rock industrial cyberpunk kind of vibe i was going for it was losing his hair yeah yeah well yeah but i've got to say he looked cool as fuck so basically yeah living in a shitty bed sit but leather jacket limousine nice hair that was it that must have left amazing marks on your face uh, you slept on your side you know yeah well also um you just have amazing cheek tattoos in the morning mm. i put these little metal beads in the dreads as well so if i was at a nightclub swishing them about they would whip me in the face with quite some force <laughs> <laughs> like bob marley <laughs> yeah and i sort of rattle when i'm walking down the streets it's like a sort of abacus if, if i didn't place the beads in just the right place yeah it would be quite noisy <laughs> no you were right to do all that kind of shit one of the biggest regrets of my life was i didn't do more magic shit with my hair well that's it you know and you know if there are any youngsters listening to this any actual youngsters i know it's a long shot <laughs> but if you are in your 20s just do all the maddest shit with your hair that you can yeah, yeah. absolutely i just took one look at my dad when i was about 16 and i thought fuck this if that's my future i'm gonna have every mad hairstyle i can have so i did yeah. i continued that extends to a lot of a lot of other things about your appearance it's like the nora efron quote about like if i'd known mm. if if I had known, when I look, I look back at the pictures of me in my twenties, and if I'd only known, I would just have worn a bikini the entire time. <laughs> well, I'm living in a tiny flat on the top floor in Isle with me and my girlfriend, just across the road from the gym that Lady Di used to go to first thing in the morning. Right? Yeah, you know the one where the owner ended up taking secret gusset shots of her a few Fuck months it later. Right. It was all over the papers. Yeah, I never saw her. She could have always come in for a cup of tea or something. Well, no, not tea. <laughs> I didn't drink it. She could have a black coffee. I'm in the final months of university and by this time absolutely gagging to get the fuck out of it uh. and plunge into the real world. I've already decided what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a magazine writer and I don't give a fuck what magazine it's going to be. So in order to to, to see your future you you peered in through a, a drinking straw into a cup of coke and it's got porn in it yes. <laughs> hey communicating through porn a, a drinking <laughs> straw in the shape of a cock yes <laughs> <laughs> Music wise, well, I'm in a proper relationship for the first time ever, so mm. you can't really nestle with your paramour to back the fuck up Bionics or <laughs> Gangster Bitch by Apache. So I've stepped away from hip hop a little bit. Right. And I'm also really skinned. I'm working a side job at uh, Richmond Odeon selling popcorn and fucking fizzy drinks to cunts. Mm. And I'm spending less money on records, more on my girlfriend. And I, I'm digging back into my collection of Isaac. Hayes, Curtis Mayfield, Marvin Gaye. Mm. I played this Archie Bell and the Drolls album a lot round about this time. Going back to my roots, if you will. I'm still keeping abreast of the new stuff, you know. I'm listening to the local pirate station, Don FM, and getting into Jungle. Mm. And I'm religiously taping Westwood on Capital Radio every Friday. That, that, that was a lifeline to me. Yeah. I know we all find uh, Westwood more than just a ridiculous figure nowadays, but a toxic figure. But did you find him 
hilarious at the time. Oh, God, yeah. X amount of hilariousness, <laughs> as the man himself would say. Yeah, baby boy! <laughs> I'm not a play-hater, I'm not a play-hater. That all the yeah. time, yeah. In this country, he was the gatekeeper, because where else in 1993 could you turn on a radio at a certain time and be guaranteed a chance to hear, I don't know, the latest LP by Brand Nubian months before you could get it in the shops, or, you know, like later on in the year, the Wu-Tang Clan. First time I heard them was on Westwood. One could not hear them anywhere else. So, you know, that's how it is. You know, you, you, as a pop crazed youngster, I was used to the idea that in order to listen to some fucking amazing music, I had to sit through a twat talking about it beforehand. <laughs> so, you know, Dave Lee Travis then, Tim Westwood now. Yeah. Anyway, chaps, I do believe it is time to retire to the chart music crap room, riffle through a box or two, and pull out an example of the music press from this very week. And this time, I'm going for the NME, Boom. March the 6th, 1993. Shall we leave? Boo his, yeah. <laughs> Let it go, Simon. <laughs> On the cover, Mark Gardner of Ride and Tim Burgess of the Charlatans, the chip-pan-headed cherubs of student in there, holding sticks of rock in their mouths as if they were cigars. In the news, well... The main story this week is the post-mortem on the death of the Happy Mondays. According to the enemy, Sean Ryder has begged the rest of the group to reconsider their decision to split up following the collapse of their 1.7 million deal with EMI. We had a meeting and there was only one man who wanted the band to stay together. Sean claims an unnamed Monday. He apologised for his behaviour, but certain band members said, no, we've had enough. Further details of the band's disintegration has emerged, which began three weeks ago when Ryder walked out of a band meeting with EMI A&R director Clive Black before the deal was signed, claiming he was going out for a Kentucky Fried Chicken, band code for Custard Ganatre, <laughs> and never returning. When Ryder failed to convince Black in a subsequent phone conversation that he was a reliable investment, the deal was pulled, resulting in band manager Nathan McGough issuing P45 swore band members and quitting the next day. According to local rumours, Ryder has already smashed up the Monday's office and is currently scouring the city for McGough, brandishing a hunting knife. <laughs> Meanwhile, the rest of the band remained unmoved by appeals from Sean to reconsider. Most of the band have wives, girlfriends, families and mortgages, said the source. The EMI deal offered financial stability and Sean has just taken all of that away. It's quite sweet imagining the Happy Mondays being bothered about mortgages and stuff like that. Mm. You know, they're, they're obviously 12-hour party people, really. <laughs> Meanwhile, Ryder's found time to attend court, where he's fined 650 quid and banned from driving for 18 months over drink-drive charges relating to a car crash with a vicar in a larder last July. Vicar in a larder. Mm. Yeah, I wonder if he was snogging his boyfriend at the time. <laughs> he claimed that he has absolutely no disposable income and asked to pay the fine in instalments before leaving with Oriole Leach, the daughter of former Monday's collaborator Donovan, after the court revealed that he has left his wife Trish and their 
baby. Oh, man. Yeah. Grim times to be Sean Ryder. He says absolutely no disposable income, mm. but is that just because he has disposed his income mm. very regularly <laughs> yes. into the hands of the local drug lord? Yeah, he's liquidised his assets. He's powderized his assets, probably, yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile... Apache Indian has had a fun evening at the Kudos nightclub in Watford, which culminated with him taking to the stage with several minders in order to explain to the 2,000-strong audience that he had not been booked to appear at the venue that night, contrary to posters slapped up all around Hertfordshire. Following the inevitable altercation with venue security, a female steward was allegedly struck in the stomach and a photographer claims that he was biffed by Apache's henchman and required 10 stitches to a head wound. Apache completely denies the allegations, which are considered to be malicious distortions of the truth, claimed a spokesperson for the arranged marriage hitmaker. Fucking hell. Great news for all you who like to jiggle that joypad. You too are working with computer game giant Sega to produce an interactive Zoo TV CD, reveal the enemy. You're going to be able to mix your own videos to our songs. There will be a colour box, if you like, of images and you're going to be able to remix our music for yourself, said Bono the Hedgehog. Sadly, the deal falls through, but when the Mega CD add-on for the Mega Drive hits the UK next month, you'll be able to spend upwards of 40 quid on the Make My Video series, where you can remake the videos of In Excess, Criss Cross, CNC Music Factory and Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Now, what really happened was you buy a Mega Drive and it had the U2 game preloaded onto it, whether you liked it or not. <laughs> Jim Rose the hippie punk circus leader, is well dischuffed that his current UK tour is in disarray after RSPCA protests and concerned local councils have cancelled his shows in Bristol, Portsmouth and Edinburgh. The whole thing is insane. No one here seems to be getting the feel and message of the show. Everything is done with real humour, he says. The RSPCA's complaints about slug-eating are ironic, given that snails and oysters are a delicacy. (laughs) And his mate, Matt the Tube Crowler, defended his bile bear act, where he swallows a seven-foot tube, pumps assorted fluids into it, pumps them out again, and invites members of the audience to have a sip claiming that he's constantly tested for HIV, syphilis and hepatitis and he always cancels his act when he has a cold or flu. Fucking hell, did you go and see them? No. I did. Right. It was at um, Clapham Grand. Um, it, they were always turning up at festivals though, but they, they had their own show at Clapham Grand. Mm. I mean, I saw that stuff you just described going on, that the guy regurgitating his stomach flu. I did not drink any of it myself. No. But the highlight of the show was Mr Lifto. Do you know about Mr Lifto? Yes. So, for those who don't don't know what this guy would do he would put a fucking hook like a butcher's hook through his foreskin and then he would lift fucking breeze blocks from you know with his cock (laughs) it was quite quite remarkable Mm. they turned up in the x-files as well yes it did yeah it it was i guess it was based on todd browning's freaks that kind of uh, traveling free show Mm. and it was them it was the jim rose circus yeah by the way uh, in case anyone is uh, is thinking about eating slugs or maybe you know as a sort of a food hack to have a, a nice sort of 
French cuisine, d- yeah. just don't. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just absolutely don't. Yeah. It's amazing that we got away with, you know, oh, the short, oh no, it's a global pandemic. Yeah, it's, a, it's incredible we got away with it for so long when there were people. <laughs> shenanigans like this happening for entertainment. Vince Power of the Mean Fiddler Group, who used to book acts for the Reading Festival until it wound down last year, has announced the inaugural Phoenix Festival, which will be held at the Long Marsden Airfield near Stratford upon Avon in mid July. Sonic Youth, Faith No More and the Black Crows have already been confirmed as headliners and the bill would end up taking in the likes of Julian Cope, House of Pain, Pop Will Eat Itself, The Disposable Heroes of Hip The Young Gods, Living Colour, The Manic Street Preachers, Hole, Pulp, Gil Scott Heron, Gangstar with Roy Ayers and Donald Byrd and Sheep on Drugs hey. all spread across four stages and all for £49 plus 50p booking per person. Did you partake, Simon? Yeah, I did. It was a weird one, Phoenix. It's a sort of festival that didn't know what it was. Uh, it was mm. very eclectic to a fault almost. You know, there were just so many different stages of, you know, there'd be a jazz stage and a hip-hop stage and a techno stage and all this kind of stuff. I guess mm. it was a bit like Glastonbury in that sense, but without any kind of countercultural or any kind of cultural vibe to it. It was just, here's all the music that's around, sort of divvied up into little pockets and you can sort of wander around it. But they got some massive headlines. Yeah, but mm. it didn't really know what it was and I can see why it didn't last, but I liked it because, you know, it was on an airfield, so it was a flat surface, plenty of concrete, mm. and there were hotels nearby because I hate camping. But mm. they, they managed, I guess, you know, basically the, the mean fit group had that kind of clout but they managed to get some massive headliners that david bowie bob dylan on headlining but but mm. also you know they also had people like suede and, and bjork who are more of that era so mm. I, th- I think it was a really underrated festival yeah i miss it what were the toilets like they were all right you know some of the things that happened at um i, I mean i was mostly backstage so i probably would have had the luxury toilets but mm. um some things i remember happening there were i had a a pint of what I hope was water poured over my head by one of Pop Will Eat Itself. Um, right. Uh, I I went in goal yeah, for penalty. Probably wasn't water then. Exactly, yeah. Um, oh dear, did it I- rust your, uh, your dread beads? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I went in goal in a penalty shootout against um, the, the Cardigans, or between the Cardigans. Right. And Nina Person scored a goal past me. Possibly I was a little bit distracted by the fact that it was Nina Person. <laughs> and my friend emmy kate montrose from kanicki did the most amazing thing she wasn't looking where she was going and she bumped into coolio and knocked him flat on his ass no man <laughs> if, if nothing else phoenix festival gave me that memory <laughs> over in stateside usa the enemy reveals that prince's much publicized meeting with morrissey planned to coincide with last week's grammys has been postponed after the latter decided not to attend the ceremony the enemy reports that a spokesman says Mozer is recovering from a bout of flu, but plans to reschedule the chin wag. Eight years earlier, that would have blown my mind. You know, eight yeah. years earlier, the idea of Prince meeting Morrissey. But what are they going to talk about? Oh, God. What the fuck? You know, I like singing about sex. 
Oh, well, I don't. All right, bye then. Yeah. <laughs> God, it'd be like that Guardian thing dining across the divide, wouldn't it? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> and finally, salt and pepper have warned the public that a fake pepper is currently at large in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and is currently trying to obtain a record deal using the rapper's real name, Sandy Denton. So, if you encounter a woman with massive gold trunk earrings on your doorstep and she attempts to encourage you to push it real good, contact the police immediately. <laughs> In the interview section, well, Northern Irish Noise Nick's therapist sit down with Keith Cameron in Brussels and immediately start banging on about how thick their fan base are. <laughs> Fans listen to the likes of Teeth Grinder and say, Oh, if only they'd made it a little bit heavier, it would be the same sort of thing as Nine Inch Nails. It's not meant to be that. In in the first place, moans frontman Andy Cairns. One thing that always disappoints me is that I tend to grant our fans with enough intelligence to realise what we're trying to do. Certain Oof. people we used to work with always get digs in now. There's a lot of people with the mentality that your music's got shite because you're on a major. If people think our music has got shite and they genuinely think that, fair enough. But it's nothing to do with being on a major. Punk's got into the hands of the middle classes now. When I saw Huggy Bear for the first time, I thought they were great. But when you start ramming your manifestos down people's throats, it's lost any of the vibrancy that the original punk had. There's a fine line between Huggy Bear, Corner Shop and Bono. Whether you're preaching to the Camden Falcon or to Madison Square Garden, there's not much difference. I feel like Pete Townsend when punk came along. Sarah, you were the sort of right age to be supposedly the target audience for Riot Girl. Did it actually reach you at the time? Or, no, yeah. it, it, it didn't actually. Not oh. <laughs> in the wilds of West Yorkshire on the, uh, the windswept <laughs> hockey field. Uh, no, no, it didn't actually. <laughs> Not at all. And that's exactly the problem with it for me. The, the very people that it should have been targeting, it didn't because it, it was a closed elitist world of people on college campuses, university mm. campuses, who could afford to print up, you know, limited run vinyl singles or fanzines and stuff. I agreed with a lot of the sentiments mm. of what they were doing, but it just, yeah, it used to drive me insane that people thought, oh, oh, well, that, that, that's feminism sorted mm. then. That's yeah. fine, you know. <laughs> yeah, because, <laughs> you know, that's done now. No, no, it fucking isn't. Oh, by the way, therapy with a question mark on the end. Do you say their name like you were Australian? <laughs> with uh, talk therapy? The question mark at the end was because of um, Letra Set. They, they had, uh, right. they were sending out demo tapes and they kind of got the spacing wrong between the letters and there was a big gap at the end oh so they just thought fuck it put a question mark on the end to make it look better <laughs> <laughs> they were all right therapy I, I went away with them to las vegas around this time for melody maker mm. and I, I remember um going back to the kind of image i had at the time with the massive dreadlocks and, and the leather jacket you can imagine that the uh, climate in nevada wasn't necessarily ideal for, for and i was wearing shitloads of makeup as well, well 
Simon. So Tom Sheehan, the photographer, uh, took us all out to the Sierra Nevada desert to do a photo shoot, you know, and it's proper American desert. You can hear snakes rattling and all that mm. kind of stuff. Um, and everyone else is sort of wearing sensibly sort of shorts, short sleeve shirts, stuff like that. I'm there, big army boots, black leggings, black knitted sort of crocheted long jumper <laughs> underneath my black leather jacket <laughs> with all the makeup and a black headband, big black dreadlocks. And I refuse to compromise my look for the weather. I thought, fuck you, weather. Oh, but Simon. You were the original goth in hot weather, weren't you, Simon? Yeah. I was. I fucking was. My, my favourite memory of that trip, though, was that evening. Um, we all went to some kind of cocktail bar on the Strip in Vegas. Mm. And there was an Elvis impersonator. Right. And of course for those was. who don't know, um, Tom Sheehan is a Cockney gentleman who speaks in Cockney rhyming yes. slang. Right. A lot of it, it's, it's not the standard rhyming slang. He often makes, makes up his own. It's bespoke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there was this Elvis impersonator with the full kind of jumpsuit and massive flares. And Tom turns to us and says, look at the callards and that cunt and we're like what callards and he goes oh yeah i've got it i've got it callard and bowsers yes. trousers <laughs> <laughs> yeah i remember that the classic tom sheehan ism was uh fucking hell someone spilt beer on they spilt it on my hinge <laughs> right hinge and bracket Packet. jacket Oh, jacket. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought it was packet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think I would have um, pronounced the uh, the question mark. I think the question mark is silent right. in, in therapy. Mm. They were really good mm. fun. I saw them uh, like some years later when I, I think they got back together um, at the Electric Ballroom. And right. it, it was really great and very loud. And Andy Cairns led the crowd in uh, a chant of You Fat Bastard, hmm. which was... <laughs> have you ever shagged on acid? Your cunt feels this big, says Leslie Rankin of Silverfish to Sean Patton before she can even get the top off her biro. Not brownfish. Not, not brownfish. Brownfish sounds like a, a name that the spin doctors rejected. You know, it was in like the mm, before yeah. they, they adopted that. You know, it was in the shortlist. Yeah, or the name of their road. It's <laughs> oh god! And now, now I'm remembering the League of Gentlemen film where where Tubbs has a shit and says, "I've made a little fish, a little brown fish." <laughs> After letting that hang in the air, she proceeds to coat down the big thing du jour. Riot girlies all a load of bollocks. I'm sick to death of hearing about it. It's not interesting. I feel no affinity with it at all. I don't need a movement to express my opinions. There are plenty of women around who don't have to be part of something. And I don't give a fuck how people see me. I'm not people hating, but I'm not keen on them. Why? They're thick as a shithouse door, most of them. Oh, silverfish were great, mm. yeah. But that, yeah, I can see why they wouldn't be having any of that Riot girl stuff. Awkwardly, the enemy of devoted four pages to a Riot Girl special. Is it Riot Girl or Riot Girl? Go for it, Al. Stretch it out. <laughs> okay. Awkwardly, the enemy of devoted four pages to a Riot Girl special. Liz Evans spends the first two pages breaking down the history of the movement and interviews Lush and Kim Gordon, while Huggy Bear knock out a two-page manifesto with help from Stephen Wells, because, hey, you can't entrust this sort of thing to just women who do we want to reach asked joe johnson we want to reach those brilliant punk rock women who've been worrying about what men think about them and are now cool and sassy fucking punk rock women but if they're alone and isolated then they're going to end up like my mother 
We've got to make contact. This generation seems to have been convinced that it can't do anything for itself, that it's all been done before. Huggy bear see all around them the indie whores, right swells. Tedious transit van bands who don't want to change their t-shirts, never mind the world. All of them gagging to be interviewed by white male middle class boring rock hacks for a white male middle class boring readership. This, in case you were wondering, is not an interview. It's an article written with the band's cooperation. My fee for the article will be donated to the King's Cross Women's Refuge. Bless him. In the centre spread, there's a most unsavoury image of Tim Burgess of the Charlatans and Rides Mark Gardner, who are about to embark on a joint headliner tour, sucking on opposite ends of a stick of rock like the dogs in Lady and the Tramp. Can I stop you there? I was really fucked off about this. Right. Because this was my idea. What? Yeah, because the whole um, thing of the um, charlatans and rides going on tour, the news of that reached us at Melody Maker with plenty of notice. And when Mm. we were having an editorial meeting, I said, well, it's obvious. You've got to get Tim Burgess and Mark Gardner together on the front of Melody Maker, sucking on opposite Mm. ends of a stick of rock. Because they were both... beautiful boys with luscious lips Mm. and you know it would have looked perfect it couldn't just be a pink stick of rock it would have to be one with sort of spiral swirling patterns around it so that you can see Mm. what it is that they're sucking on and people just looked at me and said "Ah, no and i said well if you don't do it nme will basically like alan partridge where he's sort of you know partridge is going on about uh monkey tennis and (laughs) inner city sumo you know presented by Chaz and dave whatever if you don't do it sky will and tony hayes goes well I'll, i'll live with that so that that was the kind of actual it's like this is obviously a brilliant front cover and it it was a front cover that never happened and then NME do it and they don't even have the balls to put it on the front they just have them sucking separate sticks of rock on the front although they do have the double suck on the centre pages but yeah Mm. Ah, still bitter yeah anyway did you ram a big cheese on a fork into your editor's (laughs) face yeah yeah Yeah, smell my rock you mother (laughs) (laughs) We were brought together by a drunken meeting at Reading Festival and it was just, ah, great idea, let's tour together, I'll see you there, says Burgess. Both groups have got really strong followings and both groups are just totally into music, man. When asked about whether the rumours about Ride's impending split are true, Gardner is diplomatic to the point of tedium. Now I know how Michael Jackson feels, he says. It was just a bit of a stressed out year for us all, really. Andy Bell didn't have a nervous breakdown or two as rumoured. He just had a bad joint. Meanwhile, Burgess is on legal instructions not to talk about Rob Collins, his keyboard player who was arrested before Christmas after his mate attempted an armed hold-up at a supermarket in Staffordshire while he was sat in the car like Father Ted and Dougal when Tom nipped into the post office, so the rest of the interview isn't worth talking about, really. I went away on a trip with Ride as well. Oh, did you know? Yeah, um, not long after this. Um, this was to um, to LA, and mm. they're talking manager in the states was the third copeland brother so you've got um, stuart copeland you've got miles copeland and you've got this other guy who was a vietnam vet 
And right. we went round his house to do a photo shoot, I think it was. And he got out, first of all, the biggest bag of weeds I've seen in my life. It's like a fucking pillow. <laughs> but then he said, I know, why don't we all do a bit of paintballing in the gardens? And he's up in the Hollywood Hills and there's all this fucking undergrowth. And I'm like a bit wary of this, but okay, okay. So, you know, we all get... Our, our guns and our pellets and, and off we go and hide in the bushes and he comes fucking hunting us down and he's obviously got some kind of proper ptsd rage stored up inside him he's just mm. he's not fucking showing any mercy he's just because those those pellets if you've been hit by a paintball pellet mm-hmm. at close range it fucking hurts man we weren't wearing any yeah. padded gear like oh my god yeah so that's my main memory of hanging around with riders being shot at by this deranged rambo figure <laughs> <laughs> that's when you need your um customized cheap on drugs motorbike jacket mm. Mm. exactly and yeah. your clint eastwood westcott oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> all of it yeah. <laughs> and terry staunton drops in on the would i lie to you hit makers charles and ed Air and reveals that even they are falling foul of bbc censorship the traffic lights blink on and off as charles and eddie strut along the sidewalk recalling their early days in the big apple right staunton They remember the cool sounds their DJ friend Smash would spin down at the Soul Kitchen. They give each other a knowing smile and agree. Yeah, that shit was funky. Suddenly, a middle-aged man with an Oxbridge accent, wearing a set of headphones, yells above the melting pot hustle and bustle of the mean streets. Cut! This is not America. This is Elstree. This is an afternoon run-through on a BBC soundstage and the man with the headphones has deemed that shit is not a particularly top-of-the-pops friendly word. Mm. The walking about on the streets of Elstree, was that Walford? Oh, good question, yeah. Single reviews. Sam Steele is in the chair this week and her single of the week is 15 Minutes of Fame by Sheep on Drugs. The trademark SOD barrage of techno rock and acid-edged mayhem is still as spiky and wicked as Beelzebub's tail and just as sexily alluring. Zig Zig Sputnik were never as devilishly clever or absurdly anti-stylish as sheep on drugs, which is why 15 minutes of fame might just be a conservative estimate. Mm. These wolves, and for the last time the name refers to you, not them, are going to worry the moral majority into a frenzy of fear. Yeah, sadly that wasn't the case, but I fucking mm. love them. I remember the first time I saw them was supporting Daisy Chainsaw at Yulu. Right. And uh, Duncan, the singer, had painted on hair with a sort of painted on centre parting, Mm. uh, a bit like, I don't know, Frank Sidebottom meets Adolf Hitler, really. And uh, after about two songs, he was sweating so much under the lights, and this must have been intentional, that it all just streaked down his face and looked really horrific. Oh, like Rudy Giuliani. (laughs) (laughs) It was amazing. They were were such a good band. But yeah, uh, in hindsight, they they were never going to trouble the charts or the moral majority, I don't think. Dodgy of Pop out their fourth single water under the bridge and still reckons it's going to finally put them over the top and into the charts dodgy have seemingly got it all sex god good looks their own groovy carnaby street club and they've finally stirred themselves from their ultra cool existence to bring us water under the bridge 
armed with swirling post-psychedelic guitars and instantly forgettable melodies. Dodgy stride effortlessly into the abyss of bag air, so cruelly abandoned by the stone roses at the beginning of the last century. While A&M's men in suits popped the corks in celebration of the fact that Dodgy had finally come up with a pleasant poppet of a song after nearly a year, those poor sods at Geffen, home of the stone-cold roses, must be pulling their ponytails out in despair. I can't really see a stone roses comparison. That's a bit of a weird way to review them, mm. but okay. Jamiroquai have pitched up with their second single, Too Young to Die, and still really, really reckons it, and him, and them. Jamiroquai. Got it? Good. Remember it, because the big voice and even bigger hats are unlikely to go away. Jay, the wearer of the woolly tea cozy, has one of the most powerful and impressive soul voices to slide across the dance spectrum in a long while, jumping full force onto the jazz funk bandwagon, pioneered by the brand new heavies and Galliano. Too young as a singing up tempo follow up to last year's club hit, When You Gonna Learn. And with Jay's tendency to break into a scat at the first opportunity, is as catchy as a cold on the underground see it all started so positively but it ended mm. with going to prison for storming the capital because donald trump told him to yes <laughs> <laughs> but it's a coat down for looking through patient eyes by pm dawn a bland rehash that is only going to excite adventurous michael jackson fans and radio four listeners Hysteria Unknown by Strangelove reveals that singer Patrick's screwed-up childhood, his history of alcohol abuse, and his deep depressions are the bedrock from which his intensely personal songs are hewn. It is also this same depth of feeling that elevates Strangelove from simple shoegazing to spiritual soul-searching. Elsewhere, Sidi Bou Saeed are called a girl group, not you understand that gender is a yardstick by which to measure anything, during Steele's review of Twilight Eyes. Die Cheerleader's Saturation EP is proof positive that girls can be as bold and big on guitars as any boy rockers, and the dramatic flutes and sombre strings of Baron to Falang's Saint Spectre Morse theme will allow Morse's memory to live on. Dig it, kid! I had a mate who was obsessed with Die Cheerleader and used to go to all their gigs, but he thought right. they were German and they were called Die Cheerleader. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. In the album review section this week, Pride of Place is actually a twofer, featuring Yeah, 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 Yeah by Bikini Kill on one side and Our Troubled Youth by Huggy Bear on the other. This is the first fruits from the so-called riot girl movement, ripe for plucking by some adventurous major label subsidiary, says Edwin Pouncey. The riot girl tag has been lazily looped around Bikini Kill's neck in a vague attempt to explain what they do, but it's confusing and deceptive. Bikini Killer like some hot rod engine that's been stripped down to the basics and filled with sonic true punk. The only really shocking thing about Huggy Bear is how fast they've learned to make records that sound both crudely troubled and flash at the same time. 
Huggy Bear's side is the most immediate, the one you keep coming back for. But the real way to play this record is with your eyes closed. Just slam it on the turntable, drop that needle and jump back at the surprise that leaps out of the speakers. But it's a coat down for practically everything else this week. Frank Black has finally crawled out from under the wreckage of the Pixies to put out his debut solo LP, Frank Black, but Deli for Deli dismisses it as an insubstantial corporate take on indie rock. Deacon Blue have failed to achieve the stadium-filling status for which they were once tipped, and they must have cost Columbia a small fortune. So perhaps they were frog-marched into a record company office and told by an AR man to get trendy. Why else have they paid creditor-cost producers Paul Oakenfold and Steve Osborne to make them sound like the Happy Mondays? Asked John Harris in his review of Whatever You Say, Say Nothing. It's empty opportunism. Why has terminally irritating frontman Ricky Ross decided to start wearing stupid shades and ill-fitting rock star togs that make him look like someone in a bono look-alike parade? Bollocks on all counts, really. This is lucky to scrape a three out of ten. Oh, it's a bad time for the 80s bands, isn't it? <laughs> Are you going to go my way? Asked Lenny Kravitz on the title track of his third album. Fuck off am I, replies Stephen Dalton, who calls it the sound of Kravitz shagging an elegantly dressed corpse. He's constructed an entire career from second-hand Leninism, third-hand Hedrixism and stinking tenth-hand hippieism. Cutting his cloth from the Emperor's old clothes, he stitched together this theme park boutique of trouser rock. Oh, sorry, Callard rock, if you will. <laughs> Fashionably crumpled, worn in the right places, but utterly empty. True Kravitz devotees, earhead-style vultures, Notting Hill hippies and music-biz twats will keep the faith because he still provides them with a solid get-out clause for their reactionary tastes, reducing the era they blindly idolise to a safe retro fashion spread draped in hollow peace and love poses. It was easy to hate Wendy James, champion of Barbie feminism, when she fronted corporate terrorist Transvision Vamp. It was easy to dismiss her as the gherkin in the great hamburger of art. She didn't like clothes, but she liked screaming about the revolution. She was a complete prat. But Wendy wrote to Santa, a.k.a. Elvis Costello, in the summer of 1991, and he wrote her an LP. Simple, eh? And now everyone will say that there's far more to her than meets the eye. That she has things to say. Right, Sean Patton of Wendy James's debut solo LP. Now ain't the time for your tears. Ultimately, James has made an LP which is fairly proficient, but more importantly, an LP which is dull. It's all about Wendy and her world, which is not enough for ten songs. Now ain't the time proves one thing beyond doubt. Elvis Costello has a sense of humour, for that is the only excuse one can make for this sniffle of an album. 
In the gig guide, well, David could have seen Soho at the Brixton Fridge, cheered on his fellow MM hack Chris Roberts fronting Catwalk at the Borderline. I was there. Terminal Cheesecake at the Islington Powerhouse, Radiohead at the Underworld, Eric Clapton at the Albert Hall, Daisy Chainsaw at Camden Palace. I was there too. And Dumpy's Rusty Nuts at the Woolwich Tram Shed, but probably didn't. Taylor could have seen the Hollies at Wolverhampton Grand Theatre, the Steve Gibbons Band again at Birmingham Breedham Bar, Panic Beach at Dudley JB's, or the uncontrollable noise explosion at the Mitre in Stourbridge, all dependent on him recovering from Nigel Kennedy's two-night stint at Birmingham Ronnie Scott's. Sarah could have seen Radiohead at Leeds Duchess of York, Rudimentary Peni also at the Duchess of York, Radical Dance Faction at Sheffield Hallamshire Hotel, Senseless Things at Sheffield Unair, or join the Proto Weller Dads for the Modfathers show at the Leeds Town and Country Club. Al could have knocked back the bile bear at the Jim Rose Circus Sideshow at Nottingham Trent Polair, Alice in Chains at Rock City, and wound up the week checking out spare parts at Loughborough's The Swan in the Rushes. Neil could have seen Sultans of Ping at Cov Unair, Wall of Sleep at Coventry General Wolf, although probably didn't because the lead singer threatened to glass him once, yeah. and absolutely fuck all else. While Simon could have seen the Indigo Girls at Bristol Fleece and Firkin, Climax Blues Band at Newport King's Hotel, Senseless Things at Bristol Unair, or Tamsin Archer at Cardiff St David's Hall. I like how you've uh, expanded the radius of, of, my, I have to, mate. Of, of my local patch to include bristol because that's what it was fucking like nothing happens in yeah. wales yeah in the letters page well sean Pattenden has been entrusted with angst this week and the main topic of conversation is a response to a letter a fortnight ago from terence t simmons from birmingham who trotted out the line about the white working class being edged out by ethnic minorities and the gays okay, i'm working class left school at 16 went into manual work i am now unemployed but in no way do i blame people of different ethnic origins or have a different sexuality than me for my hard life in the real world writes working class and proud from farnborough the people who are to blame for the shit we live in are the politicians and ruling class who promote racism and homophobia to divide and rule us. These dickheads need bigoted people like Simmons to keep them in power. So Simmons, just fuck off! <laughs> Middle-class anti-fascist from Stockport, however, has a somewhat different point of view. Get real, Terence Simmons, you working-class dickhead. Why does the enemy continue to follow the sad old oi, Gary Bushell, pro-working-class line? Fact! The working class is the most reactionary socio-economic group in Europe. Real radical social change has always been inspired by the radical intelligentsia. And if you're talking music, most of the decent radical songwriters of the last 15 years went to public school. Shane McGowan, Joe Strummer, Brett Anderson, he didn't. Chris out of the Redskins to name but a few, Simon. Brett didn't go to public school. No, that's no, a really weird thing to say. He looks no. like he did, though. And that's the main thing. Christ. 
if you right. go around slapping your own ass, mate, people are going to assume that you went there. <laughs> Fuck's sake. When we fight Nazis on the streets, we're fighting the working class. Yes, you, Terence, you thick homophobe. When we argue against stool brains in pubs, we're arguing with the working class. Let's have an intelligence qualification for the vote. Say, three A-levels and at least one suede single. Then the mass of sun-reading, bigoted, brain-dead sheep who have kept the Tories in power for the last 13 years wouldn't be able to fester drunkenly over the destruction of everything decent and worthwhile in this country. Terence, I went to public school on a scholarship, no fees, and I'm fucking proud of it. Most of my friends and their parents are professionals. It's called intelligence, you sad reactionary oik. And I live in the real world as much as you do, matey. <laughs> a big black pair of gay Doc Martins are going pro-bashing in Birmingham soon. Fucking hell. Everybody in this debate seems just lovely, don't they? I know. What about the music, oh, man. man? I do want to know where I can buy a big black pair of gay Dr. Martins, though. Yeah. Please, yeah. Music-wise, as with the rest of this issue, Huggy Bear feature heavily. Let me set the scene, writes Neil from Leeds. Here I am, sitting all on my lonesome on Friday night. Until tonight, I was a fairly average, normal, everyday kind of guy. Tonight, things changed. I watched the world. I saw the huggy revolution. Before now, I'd heard of Huggy Bear, not knowing what they sounded like. But tonight, they definitely meant something and started something special. And when they started shouting about the really shitty sexist piece about the two American bimbos, the Barbie twins, it really hit me. For once, I agreed with the words crowd, be they members of Huggy Bear or whatever, be with us or against us, it's up to you. God, do you remember that bit? No. They'd just done a piece about the Barbie twins and then Oggy Bear started shouting at Terry Christian and he tried to calm it down and uh, Henry Rollins just sat there not knowing what the fuck was going on, really. My main memory of Huggy Bear on The Word is that it was reported on by members of Melody Maker who'd gone along as sort of cheerleaders for the whole Riot Girl thing. Right, girl. Yeah, right, girl. Oh, no, that's that's a bit too Dex. It's a bit too Roy Orbison. Girl. Yeah. The Riot G contingent at Melody Maker <laughs> were furious that the Channel 4 um, staff had made them take their coats off, that they couldn't go in the studio audience with their coats off. Oh. This was their big rallying cry. They made us take off our coat, you know, as if that was the worst thing that ever happened. But to they anyone. felt the benefit afterwards. They felt the benefit, exactly. Channel 4 were just looking out for them, really. Yeah. yeah. Gavin from Haywards Heath, however, believes that Huggy Bear's ticket pricing structure is just another form of sexism. Whilst visiting a record emporium in Brighton, I noticed a flyer for the Huggy Bear gig at the Brighton Richmond. I quickly looked to see how much the tickets were, and much to my surprise, I noted that for unemployed and students, this much-hyped band could be seen for a mere £3. Then I noticed that this reduction included girls! Two exclamation marks. 
In other words, if you're not a student, unemployed or female, you have to pay 50p more to get in. Just what in the hell are Huggy Bear trying to achieve with this action? Before you dismiss me as a chauvinist pig, I am very much in favour of equal rights. But to openly distinguish between the sexes in this way amounts to blatant sexism in the extreme. If Huggy Bear wants to change people's attitudes to women's rights in society, then they are not going to do it by suppressing men's. It's interesting, isn't it, that uh, there is some kind of horseshoe effect at play Mm. in terms of the interaction between sexism and pricing at music events because on the one hand you've got those sleazy nightclubs that uh, you know let women in for free yes and then um, right the other side of the horseshoe you've got huggy bear who are the opposite of that but are also Mm. letting women in really cheap maybe huggy bear should have offered free entry to all men who turned up to the venue in really tight shorts (laughs) and give them a complimentary glass of fizz (laughs) gavin of leicester was very excited to see his hometown featuring in the pages of the enemy for the first time since the days of show waddy wadair thanks to a recent interview with corner shop The whole corner shop explosion is so important to not only Leicester, but Britain. The challenging of society's stereotypes and music's traditionalism is what this shithole of a country needs. The very fact that they can't play their instruments only adds to the excitement. Corner shop will, over a period of time, develop into an awesomely powerful band and disbelievers will repent. Bands like them and fucking hell, Huggy Bear again, will, in years to come, be cited as a major influence upon the music and attitudes of their time. The media attention is very much justified, as the threat of right-wing activism is more rife than ever before, and those who make a formal stand against fascists and general ignorance deserve praise. Ignorance is Britain's downfall. 14 years of conservative rule. Why can't people wake up? No, different times, everyone. I agree with one sentiment in that letter, which is the very fact that they can't play their instruments only adds to the excitement mm. because I, I remember at Melty Maker some of the uh, people who really disparaged Riot Girl saying well the problem with these bands like Huggy Bear is they can't play their instruments no. as if you know that was it that was just the end you know nothing further need be said mm. and you know the same with Corner Shop the fact is those bands could play their instruments enough to make that record and if you find that record exciting then it, yeah. it doesn't need any more technique than that it doesn't need somebody that's able to play some kind of stupid fucking twiddly guitar solo you know what I mean? Yeah, what, what do you want them to do? Use samplers and that. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. The other news story that has agitated the readership is Suede appearing at the Brit Awards, even though they weren't nominated for anything. It is somewhat refreshing to witness a band who refused to put principles before selling their souls for fame and fortune. This is no doubt why the enemy have so readily embraced Suede to its heaving bosom, says Craig from Ulverston. But it was rather worrying to watch the said foursome perform Animal Night Rate. Yes, that's what he wrote. Animal Night Rate at the Brit Awards. I can't help believing that if Mr. Anderson and colleagues told the Brits organisers that if they wanted the band on the show so badly, they should have voted for them originally. 
Better is it not to be loved truly by one person than handicapped by a couple of dozen you hate? No respect for their vacuous nominations indeed. (laughs) Carl Essendall from London, who appears to be a regular contributor to angst of late, is less florid. Dear WEA, withering establishment artists, think about it, kids, and Brits chairman Rob Dickens, why are you inciting your own murder? I would like to nail your testicles to your bedroom ceiling and test kitchen knives on your stupid faces. Perhaps when a few pints of blood have congealed on the carpet, you'll stop spewing smug bullshit. Out of 48 nominations, how dare you not include suede? How dare you kick us in the teeth with your sterile, average nominations? Enjoy your nightmares, spit out your artist's arse hairs, and change your underwears. Uh, somebody's been listening to the, the first Wu-Tang Clan album, haven't they? Ah, fucking, ah, fucking. So your asshole clothes and keep feeding you and feeding you. <laughs> <laughs> and Cole Rushbridge and Nichols of Hailsham write to inform us that the letters Brett Anderson of Suede can be rearranged to spell Sad Nose of Utter Bender. I just thought you might like to know that. 55 pages, 70p. I never knew there was so much fucking huggy bear in it. (laughs) So, what else was on telly this day? Well, BBC One kicks off at 6am with Business Breakfast, followed by two and a bit hours of BBC Breakfast News. After Kilroy starts an argument, it's a quarter of an hour of Ross King doing some sort of quiz. Then it's play days and good morning with Anne and Nick. Pebble Mill, no longer at one, but at a quarter past noon, is next. Followed by regional news in your area, the news, a repeat of yesterday's neighbours and the quiz show First Letter First. The short-lived wordy game show hosted by Don McLean. No, not that one. (laughs) After the 1981 TV movie Isabel's Choice, about a secretary who has to choose between marrying her retiring boss or continuing her career with the new one, it's Rupert, Melvin and Maureen's Musicograms, Jack and Aura, The New Yogi Bear Show, The Hotel for Puppets series Dizzy Heights, News Round and Blue Peter. Then it's Neighbours, The Six O'Clock News and Regional News in Your Area. BBC Two commences at 6.45am with a triple bill of Open University, then dips into BBC One's feed of breakfast news for a quarter of an hour, and then it's 45 minutes of yesterday's red-hot thrill ride at the Houses of Parliament in Westminster. At 9am, daytime on two kicks in with schools programmes, Thunderbirds, more schools programmes, The Adventures of Spot, Brum, Dilly the Dinosaur and more schools programmes. Then it's you and me, then the Welfare Rights Magazine Show Advice Shop, the News, the small business show I Could Do That, the documentary Some of Our Airmen Are No Longer Missing about the work of the Air Force Recovery Unit now they recover bodies of pilots lost during World War II, then it's From the Edge, the magazine show for the disabled. Food and Drink makes rabbit with prunes and they're an hour into Kenny Rogers as the Gambler, the 1980 TV film which stars Kenny Rogers as the Gambler. (laughs) 
<laughs> ITV is a 24-hour concern now, so we'll begin at 6am with three and a half hours of GMTV, followed by the British version of Jeopardy. Then it's regional news in your area, the time, the place, this morning, and Riddlers on the Road. After the news and regional news in your area, it's home and away, a country practice, the third quarterfinal of the Wix British Snooker Open in Darbear, more news and regional news in your area, blockbusters, Where's Wale, Mike and Angelo, Tiny Toons Adventures, a repeat of this afternoon's home and away, the news at 5.40, regional news in your area, and they've just started Emmerdale. Channel 4 drops in on Sesame Street at 10 to 6. Then it's Dennis, America's piss-poor attempt to rip off Dennis the Menace that can fuck right off. After two hours of The Big Breakfast, it's a game show you bet your life. Then it's two and a half hours of school's programmes that Simon already knew about due to his computer. (laughs) After the Parliament programme, Sesame Street and the Australian kids show Lift Off, it's the 1938 British comedy film Sailing Along. Then some artists saw as a gauze at hands membling St. John altarpiece in Masterworks, followed by Food File and Countdown. Spike Lee and Malcolm X's wife and daughter are the guests on the Oprah Winfrey show because the film debuts tomorrow in the UK. Then it's the Magic Roundabout, followed by the Word Access or Areas. And then Tony Daly of Aston Villa batters a child 5-0 at striker on the SNES in Games Master. And they've just started Channel 4 News. Me dears, what is jumping out from you from that schedule? Malcolm X getting followed by the Magic Roundabout. That is a yes. beautiful juxtaposition. Yes. yes. <laughs> also, Kenny Rogers, yes. the gambler. They should have made yes. a, a follow-up film about islands in the stream in which he's, he's just an island, just sort of sits there. Yeah. That's it. Nothing happens. <laughs> or Kenny Rogers bombing about in a car and jumping the lights called Kenny Rogers as the Amber Gambler. Oh, right, right. Well, me dears, I do believe that a table of sorts has been laid and we're going to tuck into a feast of 1993 in the next episode of chart music so all that remains for me to say is thank you sarah b in a bit god bless you simon price see you later my name's al needham stay pop crazed (laughs) chart music